Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's August 11th, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. And you're out of order! <laughs> Yo, don't bring it up on the show! Yes! Oh, man. We're taping on Friday today. You're taping there. I'm dating myself. We're recording on Friday because I had jury duty on Wednesday. Not only did you have jury duty, you were a juror. I was a juror. I got picked, and it went two days, so I couldn't even do the show. We normally do it. I was fuming. <laughs> and then after all that, two days of deliberations... It's a hung jury. I did it for nothing. Of course it was. Of course it was. So as soon as you told me you had jury duty, I I, I believe I said, oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) This this poor defendant having Christopher Cassenza as a juror. I knew it wasn't going to end well. And then I'm like, I can only imagine you in the jury room. Uh, You know, when you start, like, you know, kvetching when we go over an hour of the show. Yeah, yeah. I can say, hey, guys, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Let's wrap this thing up. That's how we were, and it was. We funny have to consider all those things. I gotta get 10, home and see friends. I think it was ten thirty at night when we finally broke the first day, and my day started at eight in the morning. So it was like a fourteen-hour day in a courthouse. And at the end, the guys were just like, "I think if we sleep on it, you know, we come home back tomorrow, you know." And the, the judge is the one who told us to go home. It wasn't us, our decision, but I mean, he's like, "I think we'll be okay. I think we'll we'll, we'll get this done tomorrow." And I'm like, you're delusional, pal. Well, there's no way that we're changing our minds, the four of us, and you're not changing your two because you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, people are stupid. I'm sorry, there are stupid people. It's obvious in our country, but I mean, there are some stupid people out there, and this was—they just couldn't understand anything that resembled what they needed to be doing in that deliberation room, and. Oh, they don't even understand what the word reasonable means. And it was just terrible. And logic was out the window. Please, Scott, rescue me from this train of thought. Change the subject. I just so wish I was a fly on the wall there. But I'm sure oh, you do. I was, we were loud, man. I was screaming at one point. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're all shocked. Let me, let me pause for the mass shock of the NDM nation here. <laughs> you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> Somebody got under Chris Cassenza's skin after 14 hours of deliberations. Yes, no, that's a big shock to all. <laughs> I, was, it's, I was remarkably calm the second day, though. I was like, I know it's not going to end, so let's just vote and get it over with and do the whole hung jury thing and get out of here. But we still <laughs> end up staying till like 2 or 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock. So it was a long day, long two days. Anyway, well, I'm glad you're back. Yeah, thanks, buddy. And uh, hopefully you remember uh, stuff about poker now that you're a, a legal eagle. I do. I I, I actually used poker CNN in my deliberations too, so that was good. I got to get some poker in there. So. <laughs> All right. Well, Jonathan George is our new world champion uh, after a final table ICM deal that left uh, ten thousand bucks in the cover to play for at the Antif World Championship. 
at Thunder Valley Casino Resort last week. Uh, he's retired from the semiconductor industry. Of course, we all are, aren't we? Um, and uh, usually plays 10, 25, no limit hold'em cash games. Of course, we all do. Um, in California's Bay Area. Uh, and rarely plays tournaments. So that was an interesting um, story to write. Well, i got to tell don't... you, ESPN is not going to be knocking on your door to announce any world champ. We have a new world champion, Scott. <laughs> Jonathan George is our world champion. you got to get excited about this. Like, well, Jonathan George is our new world champion. No, no, Jonathan George is our new world champion. Do we have a world champion? It's exciting <laughs> stuff, man. I'm still working on one hour of sleep from staying up until that tournament ended. So, uh, and you know, hey, if they didn't come with that ICM deal, I would have uh, had to leave before my flight <laughs> the next morning. It oh. There's no way that tournament would have ended without the ICM deal. So, pretty amazing how long these uh, these things can drag out. Yeah. But, uh, also, I want to give a shout out to uh, Lavon Joyce. She was uh, sailed on one of our very first Antioch cruises. I don't know if you remember, but she used to carry around the little stuffed monkeys. I do remember uh, her. Anyhow, uh, she's uh, 66 years old now, battling breast cancer, but finished 12th out of uh, I think it was like 489 entries. So what an amazing yeah, run! That's uh, a great story. There didn't quite work out for, her, but hey, 12th place not bad at all. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it ended up being a really, really, really good series. Um, great turnout everywhere. The um, the second flight, uh, we had two flights at the World Championship main event. The second flight set a Thunder Valley record for a single day uh, count of entries in a sixteen fifty buy in event. Uh, pretty much shattered it too. At the beginning of it, we were like. Uh, the low end for the estimate was like 275 entries, and I'm like, ah, come on, we'll do better than that. So I think Ben said around 305, and we ended up with 330 or something like that, 340, 342, I think, something like that. So completely shattered. In fact, actually, they, the flight 1B was enough to cover the guarantee without what we had on flight 1A. That's how amazing this uh, turnout was this year. Man. Uh, um, you know, and again, we, that started from the very first uh, event that we had 1,588 people in. So. Um, <laughs> Just continues to grow um, quite a bit up there, and lots of new players that showed up that were very excited about it, and um, are looking forward to coming back in the future. So, uh, fantastic event, um, and uh, <laughs> I made probably my earliest exit ever from a Thunder Valley uh, any up tour event. I lasted less than twenty nine minutes in the last No Limit Hold'em event that I played. Oh, uh, the only. The only part of the entire trip where I actually looked at my play later, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you were horrible, Scott. Horrible. The rest of the time I was there, we talked about this a little bit last week, I thought I was just playing really well and just things weren't working out for me. But that, that day I just, you know, got a, got frustrated towards uh, the end of my life. I shouldn't say the end of the <laughs> tournament by any stretch. It was 28 minutes. Um, and uh, one of those things where you know the guy's going to turn over pocket aces, but you shove on him anyhow, and he calls, and he turns over pocket aces, and you're like, yeah, that. Yeah, yep. yeah, yep. <laughs> and I, I knew he had that. Yeah, of course I knew he had that, and that's why I called off all my chips. Yeah, great, great, Scott. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> but I at least have something I can brag about this time. But even that is almost disappointing. Uh, you know, the heads up championship—that was what I was pimping uh, last week. When right before we, we finished the show, I went down and played the heads up championship. And uh, last year I made the sweet sixteen. This year I made the elite eight, Chris, which means I cashed. Nice. Very exciting. And I was counting my final four money, and that's the problem. When you start counting it before your opponent is eliminated, he tends to come back. <laughs> and I, I had this guy down 27000 to 3000 and uh, let him come back and beat me. Um, and, of course, then he went on to win the whole thing and get you know $7,000 or something like that. So at least I lost to the champion. 
Um, but uh, that that was a bitter defeat there to let somebody come back from that chip deficit. Yeah, that was nine to one, buddy. That's a nine yeah. to one chip lead. <laughs> yep. But I'm going to make you feel better. All right. All right. So uh, Phil Helmuth had a ten to one chip lead for his first ever bracelet that would not have been in Nolan Hold'em against Brian Rast and lost. He's the greatest player in the world, basically, in tournament poker, and he lost a 10-to-1 chip lead heads up. So you can feel good about how well you did, and okay, so you had a problem there. But other than that, I mean, you know, you did really well. Elite 8, when you were texting me on the on that night, and you're like, I made it past this, and when you got to Elite 8, I'm like, you're going to win this thing, and I'm going to put you on the cover of the magazine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow all of our advertising relationships with I don't care. I'll put you on the cover if you win this heads up thing. And you almost did it. That's pretty remarkable because I mean it's not like you get heads up a lot. You know, right, I mean you, exactly. you know you you play you play a lot more tournament poker than I do by way of you have to because you go to these uh, any up events while I stay home and edit them and stuff. So you play a lot of tournament poker but you don't get to the final two a lot. I mean you've won at least one of our any up events and things like that, but it's hard to come by heads up play experience, and you do well in it. And then this one, I, because I thought of last year and how you did so well, and you were just banking on that experience. I thought once you said you made the lead eight, I really thought you were going to win it. I really did. I was like trying to keep my eyes open because we're three hours difference. You know, while you're texting me, I'm like, I'm hoping he. You know, I really thought you were going to win it. I mean, I'm not trying to make you feel worse by saying that, but you should have, you should be really Thanks, proud man. of that. I mean, that's that's a huge thing. Yeah, well, what I really liked was I, I had a different – every year I go into this and I sit there and think about what my strategy should be. Um, and the last two years I had a slightly different strategy than I did this year. And, you know, the first year I think I lost my first match. Maybe my first match. Yeah, no, you second. won your first match the first year, I think. I don't think you oh. lost the first match. Yeah, and then last year I made I won my first two matches. So then this year I won my first three matches. But I changed the strategy slightly this year. I really liked how I changed it. And I'm not going to tell people what I did, even though I drunkenly told them at the um, camp <laughs> party that <laughs> the local people know my strategy now. But but I changed it, and it was I thought it was much more simple, and it ended up working out really well. Um, and I had a variety of opponents too. So my first opponent, um, you could tell, I didn't play a lot of tournament poker in general. In fact, actually, this is interesting. He sold a car during our match. Wow! So he's like. On like uh, eBay or something, selling his no, car or he's what? Sitting there, so he he he's selling his daughter's car. I don't know whether it was on Craigslist or something like that. Uh, the guy that wouldn't to buy it um, didn't have the money beforehand. So uh, the guy was like, "Hey man, I'm going to Thunder Valley. I got to play this tournament." He's like, "Oh, I'll meet you there." And so the guy shows up <laughs> at Thunder Valley. He's sitting there hanging out by the slot machines while, the, oh, while we're having our match. And of course, the guy that we're playing wants to sell this car. Yeah, he wins a break, and we're like, there's no breaks and heads off. You play until you're out. And eventually, he got to the point, he's like, well, I can't make this guy any way anymore. And he's, so he got up and gave me, like, two hands of lines while he went over and signed the paperwork for the car. Oh, man. <laughs> got 2700 bucks for the car, so maybe more than I did in the entire tournament. I was there for the 12 rounds. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he, um, yeah, so he wasn't very experienced. So, you know, that was a kind of an easy match, I would say. I mean, obviously, heads up, anything can happen, so... Um, the second match, the guy was really, really aggressive, and that did not work well with my strat- how I was playing him uh, for him. And he, he was out pretty quickly, and I think kind of frustrated. Um, the third guy is a really, really good player, um, but he had just played literally a two-hour match. 
I was done with my match early, and then I sat there waiting for it, and it was way more than an hour that I was sitting there. I'm like frustrated, and then you know you get five ten minutes to go to the bathroom or grab a drink or something, and then you just sit back down and play again. So I knew he was going to be kind of exhausted and a little frustrated after that. And uh, I was kind of hitting some hands, too, and really got him off his game and um, eventually knocked him out. And then the last player, obviously, was really good. He had went on to win anyhow or win the whole thing um, and really good. And, again, I got him down to mere peanuts before I let him back. So uh, I really kind of like my, my strategy on this, though, and I, I thought I felt I played well. And, uh, you know, it does help to hit your hands, too, and I, I, I was hitting my hands in all four matches which helps, but you know how I let this guy win at the end, you know, you keep waiting for that. I think the problem is when you get somebody down that much, the last thing you want to do is get silly, right? And just start shoving everything because at that point it's a couple double ups and then bam, it's a match again, um, which is exactly what happened. But so, you know, I I was just kind of waiting for, for him to shove on me. And I had a, you know, if I had any kind of ace or even maybe a king, I was probably going to call him at that point. But I wasn't going to be shoving on him with weak hands and trying to get him to fold, right? So then I fortunately had this hand where I had a jack in my hand. The flop came with two jacks. And I'm like, all right, this is over. I just got to wait for him to, to make a move on me. And on the river, he shoves all in. I call, bam! And uh, he turned over pocket fours and the river was a four. So he, river that a full is so out. brutal. Doubled up, and you know. So again, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to fault myself for how I played that. That was the right way to play it. I, he just, you know, hit a two outer in the end to, to catch me. But, um, but after that, I made a mistake because he still, I still had him fairly decent at that point. And you know, you, you're playing these heads up matches all day long, right? And uh, sometimes you get confused as to who goes first, even though you you've been doing it all day, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then, oh my god, my opponent in the first match, he kept acting out of turn and i kept you know kind of laughing at him like hey you know i just uh, doesn't matter to me i just want to let you know so you don't keep doing it all match and he did it all match <laughs> so uh this last match i i i looked down and i had pocket nines and i'm like all right now i'm gonna shove on him i'm gonna get this thing over with and i shoved and he's like uh scott it's it's my action like, oh! <laughs> so i pull my back back and he flips over pocket sixes and folds and so you know had i not acted out of turn and that one time the only time through four matches i acted out of turn it was pair over pair and i had him crushed and uh i don't know whether he would have shoved i thought he probably would have and then we obviously i would have called and again who knows what happened on the board you know it could have been yeah. a six yeah. but um but that, that was probably the, the seminal moment there and i'm like when i go back and think about the play that was really the only mistake i think i made in that entire match and oh well did you say that the guy who you had nine to one ended up winning the whole thing yeah yeah. oh geez see you would have won it dude i'm telling you would have won it well that sucks see what happens is this always this heads up always gets down to the end and it's it's an exhausting day right um and they usually always do some sort of uh chop or some kind of deal when it gets down to final four and uh, the guy that beat me that went on to win he actually won his final four match and then they worked out a deal three-handed where uh, the other bracket did a one hand face up to see who was going to face him, and then I don't know really exactly how the whole thing worked out. So hmm. who knows? Um, probably. Um, but the two people in the other bracket that I would have um, eventually I would have played one of them if we didn't make a deal. The one was the player of the series. He was a phenomenal, great player. He just had an amazing run. He had seven caches in fourteen events, wow. including the heads up. The other player was, you remember the guy last week I was telling you about that was second in chips in the satellite? He oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was him. Holy he cow. 
And he's a fantastic player. I mean, I just didn't recognize him during the satellite, but actually a really, really good player, and I was watching his matches. So um, that was definitely the tougher bracket on that end, at least, at, at least when it got down to the, the final uh, four or eight. But, uh, but yeah, a good run. I'm uh, looking forward to it next year, and um, we'll see where my strategy works out <laughs> once again. Every year I get a little bit better, right? <clears throat> you know what I liked? Uh, today I had a chance to look at the photos that were taken for us uh, from the, the main event and some other stuff, and one of the things that, and I know we probably should at some point in our careers get pa- past this because we've been around for so long now, but when I see photos of Eric Lindgren and J.C. Tran and Lon McCarron in a tournament that would not have happened if it weren't for our company, right. I mean, they may still throw tournaments, obviously, at Thunder Valley, but what I'm saying is this actual tournament series, this world championship that we're holding, was held in California because you and I started a silly show 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and then now ultimately we have this sort of poker thing going, and it's like, wow, that's Eric Lindgren at our tournament. You know what I mean? It's just, it's so it's so cool that it's it's gotten to this point now that you and I are, are, are you know, hosting these tournaments with, with casinos that are luring some of the greatest players of all time. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, again, again, it's part... Uh... It, really, a lot of that credit goes to Ben Irwin. Oh, of course. But uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's really kind of kind of surreal that you know when we started this, we were playing not even two four limit in our home game probably right, <laughs> like right. hours goes and <clears throat> and now yeah now we're hosting the, these really great players who are having a great time. It was really nice to see the Twitter love we got from some of those players that you mentioned um, for this event. So it's pretty cool. Very cool. And then uh, finally, the Antioch Poker Tour will return to Thunder Valley October 17th to 22nd for the NTF NorCal Classic. And more information for that will be at antiepmagazine.com slash Thunder Valley as soon as we get it posted. So, and, and this will be the play money portion of our, of our show now. <laughs> uh, PokerListings.com recently interviewed Barry Greenstein about how to fulfill his contractual obligations to poker stars. Um, he has been playing a few hours a week of play money games since real money games are not open to U.S. players. Uh, he's done amazingly well. Uh, he says the players aren't as bad as you might uh, think, especially at the higher stakes of free play. And uh, players are generally more friendly than real money players. I we I mean, it was funny because we... the. Uh, publisher's com I'd written for last month's issue was going to be about it was just like hey don't look down your nose at people who don't play for real money because most most of any everybody has started out that way not playing for money and and then as I'm writing that this story broke and I'm like oh, I gotta put Barry in this column too then mention this you know and and he's and he's absolutely right I mean when before we or I think it was I don't know if it was af- right after the Black Friday or before I started playing for real money. I can't remember one. Of, it was so long ago, but I used to have millions and millions and millions of play money chips, <laughs> you know, and I earned them. And when you start playing in the larger buy-ins, like ten million dollar, ten million chip buy-ins or whatever, they these guys know what they're doing. They, I mean, yeah, okay, so a lot of them still aren't that good, but for the most part, it's because they're playing that because they either don't have the money or they don't want to risk their money or they don't have an op opportunity to play or, or whatever it is so they're still trying to hone their skills and everything and he's absolutely well, even right beyond that, there's still value right yeah. um you we tend to think of play chips as having no value but it, it's almost like the prison economy right you yeah. know yeah. you have cigarettes you know on in the real world you can buy a cigarette for two bucks three bucks uh, a stick i guess i don't know i've never bought cigarettes but uh whatever it is but in in prison again i've never been in prison so <laughs> this whole story's made up 
<laughs> but uh, that, that's worth more because it, it has a different value, right? So here, I mean, I think the instinctiveness on our, our part is that when you log on to PokerStars and they give you 10,000 chips a day to go out and have fun with, right? There's lots of players that just go out and play it until it's gone, and then they'll sign on tomorrow and they'll get re- replenished, right? Mm-hmm. But once you get up to that level... You've earned those chips. So even though they don't really maybe have value to anyone else, they have value to you because you've earned them and you don't want to give them away by playing silly, right? Yeah. Uh, at least that's what I was thinking. <clears throat> no, you're absolutely right. I mean, and I know there were times where I had millions and millions. Even now, I mean, you could still turn 10,000 into a few million in a couple of days if you know what you're doing or if you, you know. But um, I remember getting sick to my stomach when I had like seven million, I entered like a one million dollar buy-in cash game or something, just because I wanted to double my money or something, and I built it up to like seven million, and like a ten million guy sat down. I had pocket kings, he had pocket like jacks or something. We got it all in. I'm gonna go, holy cow! I'm gonna fourteen million in a minute, and he flopped a jack, and I had a pit in my stomach for like two <laughs> days, and it was play money. Well, play money, yeah. <laughs> then after after the second day, you think to yourself, yeah, all right, dude, all right, so you. You spent a lot of hours getting those millions, but chill. You know, it didn't cost you anything. So it's just time. You know, you're right. It's time that you've put in. You've worked hard. You've outplayed people or whatever. Even if it's playing money, you're still there. You're playing, and you're learning whether it's – because he even talked about that in the article a little bit about how to – he has to still figure out how to beat them and a lot of his trapping and stuff, which is – I agree with that. Um, But, you know, you still have to figure it out. They're not just – random bots you know i mean you still have to beat these people legitimately and i i my hat's off to him that he plays because he's still got to fulfill his contract and stuff so you know i'd love to play against him online that'd be fun yeah absolutely and what's interesting about the discussion we just had about it having value um uh i watched this uh, becoming warren buffett um oh, hbo movie yeah fascinating by the way i've always been fascinated by warren buffett anyhow but the, the movie was really well done but you really got an insight into Warren Buffett's brain that it, this has never been about money for him, which I've always kind of thought. It, it's really about just achievement, right? So, you know, he's made all his money based on this compounding um, uh, situation. And so anytime you take money out of what he's accumulated, it no longer compounds. So. It, to him, it's almost like frustrating to not have that money in there to keep compounding. Again, he's not spending it, but it's a way he keeps score. That's his keep his score, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what, a really interesting part of the movie was his his first wife, who sadly passed away, but um, was very charitable minded, and you know he had always anticipated that he would die before her and give his money to her to give away. Um, cause at that point he's not keeping score anymore. Right. Right. Um, and then unfortunately she started getting sick and then he had, his, he felt like he needed to start having her give it away early. Um, so you, you think of it now, I mean, they, they put a graphic on the screen that how he was worth 64 billion. And had he not given that money to his wife beforehand to give away, he'd be worth well more than a hundred billion now. So, you know, it, it's all the score keeping again. Right. right. So. Uh, I think that's the same thing w- w- with what we talk about with the play chips, too. I mean, it doesn't really have any value, but, I mean, at the end of the day, you can tell people. I mean, it's like getting a high score on the Galaga machine, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to give you a, hey, here's a, oh, my gosh, uh, we're so impressed with your play, Mr. Long. Please come back to the arcade tomorrow. <laughs> play for free. But you still take a picture of it. Oh, look, I got the high score on Galaga. So. Yeah. It's achievement, so. 
Well, speaking of achievement, remember when I hit the Royal Flush back on two out of three hands? It seems uh, like a long time ago. It does seem like a long time ago, but it was only a few weeks ago. And uh, I talked on the show about, hey, I want the Binary Bunch to help me out here because I, I really want to know how rare this is. Uh, well, right away, uh, Annie Up fan Matt Eden uh, sent us an email. He spent some time calculating it for us. And his conclusion, 46 billion to one. Now, we were talking about it on the turn, okay? So for it to happen twice on the turn, it's 46 billion to one, roughly 158 times less likely than winning the Powerball jackpot. Don't you feel terrible now, right? (laughs) Why am I not playing this game? You could have had the Powerball, but no, you decided you wanted to have back-to-back real flush. (laughs) Uh, So one of the original members of the uh, Binary Bunch, our friend Gambit, uh, a few days after that, weighed in, and if we didn't make the stipulation that it happens on the turn, that just making it by the end of all the cards of the river, the odds improved dramatically, uh, 319 million to one. <laughs> Dramatical improvement. Yeah, that's nothing. We, that happens every day, 319 million to one. <laughs> and then uh, another listener, Dan Banks, came up with that number, too, because he had probably figured the same thing out at the end, not, not the turn. So the turn makes it incredibly rare. And then the the river makes it so, eh, you know, once a week that probably happens. <laughs> 319 I had no clue that it was in the billions, though, when that happened to me. I mean, think about that, man. Something happened to me that was 46 billion to one in poker. That's crazy. Right. Put that in perspective, uh, Mark Zuckerberg right now is a 25 to one shot to be the next president of the United States. Wow. I'm Patty Poker. <laughs> <laughs> so the odds of me hitting a royal flush on two out of three hands by the turn is roughly the same odds of me uh, being a winning poker player in my lifetime. I <laughs> <laughs> hey, any updates? Hollywood Casino Aurora near Chicago will be awarding 10 Annie Up Poker Cruise balcony packages for our December 11th sailing to Jamaica and Haiti in a mega free roll on November 12th. The 100 players with most cash game hours logged during the promotion period will earn a seat, as well as 30 players who will win their way in through three monthly free rolls. Players can earn seats in the monthly free rolls by logging at least 60 hours of cash cash games in a, a month or by playing on all Wednesday tournaments during the month. For more information, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. That's a nice little uh, giveaway there. Yeah, this is uh, uh, almost um, exactly the same. In fact, it might be actually the same as what he did the last time he sent uh, 10 winners to our cruises. So um, it's pretty cool. So, I mean, it's great. If you're uh, just a cash game rat, you're going to get in for free because you're going to log. You're probably going to be in the top 100 of logging. And if not, you're probably going to make it in. At least earn your way into one of these, the three monthly ones, and then have a chance of moving on as well, too. And then I should say, I didn't mention in that, but even in the monthly free rolls, in addition to moving on, you get cash as well, too. And then at the end, all those people that get the 10 cruises also get cash as well, too. So it ends up being a really, really profitable uh, promotion for folks uh, anywhere near Aurora. Very cool. If you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Annie Up in your home area, apply at AnnieUpMagazine.com slash ambassadors. We do have an immediate opening in Missouri slash St. Louis. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at AnnieUpMagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, 
Just like we do with Call of Four and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of any up poker cruises, available at ClassicPlayingCards.com. comes from Chad Nauman. He said, here's a situation I run into often. The player to my left or right doesn't do a great job of protecting their hand uh, when they look at their cards because they don't use two hands or they hold them vertically on the felt and away from their body with no effort to hide their cards. I'm not trying to look uh, to see they're holding, but if I just glance over, especially to see if I can get tells on what that player is going to do, I can occasionally... <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Uh, with uh, these typically older players, see one or sometimes both of their whole cards. Do I have an ethical obligation to share that uh, I can see their whole cards and that they should do a better job of protecting? Am I at an unfair advantage because of my seating position uh, next to these careless players? For the record, I haven't shared with these players in the past because I'm of the opinion that poker is about taking advantage of mistakes other players make, and it's a game of information. It's not up to me to make these weaker players aware of their potential leaks and care or carelessness. Uh, but then again, I also am aware of certain gentlemen's etiquette to the game and want to be sensitive to that too. Uh, well, two things I'll say. One, yes, obviously there's a gentleman's etiquette here that I'm glad that he's aware of. It'd be nice for him to start using. <laughs> um, but the other problem I have with the poker is about taking advantage of mistakes is the difference with this is you're taking advantage of a mistake that other players at the table aren't privy to. That's a different story. So when we talk about taking advantage of mistakes, when you're looking at tells that people across the table, all, all players have the same opportunity as you do to pick up on that tell if they are paying attention as well as you are. Um, but you are in a situation where you're the only one or maybe the guy on the other side of this player that can see these whole cards. So it is an unfair advantage uh, for you. Um but at the same time, I do understand what he's saying, that um, he's trying to get a read on players. And if I know every time I turn to look at you, Chris, and I'm going to see your cards, that's unfair to me now because you've taken away my ability to play the, the game the way I need to. So what I always suggest in these situations is as soon as you see it happen, politely mention it to him quietly. Hey, can you do a better job protecting your hand? I don't want to be influenced by your hand. And, and usually that takes care of it. And if they continue to do it, then at that point, I think the argument always been, well, I gave him a warning, and now it's up to me anymore. I still find a problem with that. So even if they continue to do that, what I would suggest is you call the floor over. I hate to make a big deal about it, but you know, I, I want to be able to play the poker the way I want to play it and what I need to do to be successful. And if this person is impeding my right because I, I don't feel like I can look at him without getting unfair and an unfair advantage, then someone needs to make them stop doing that. And they're not going to do it on their own, it sounds like. Let me ask you something. We've talked about this before, and I think what we kind of agreed on back then was we tell the person, hey, I'm giving you fair warning, I can see your cards when you do this. If you continue to do it, I'm not going to be responsible for seeing your cards and knowing you're holding. So I'm letting right. you know right now. If they still continue to show, you have every right to see their cards and not tell anybody, too. I'm not going to lean on and go, hey, guess what? This guy's got his king next to me. I mean, it's like luck of the draw. If you are seated in, seating in seat one and you get dealt aces on the first hand and the guy in seat three got kings and you bust him on the first hand of a tournament, 
it's luck of the draw. Now you're just having to be next to somebody who is yeah, doing something wrong. You can affect the change. You can't affect the change in your first example. You know, you you can't do anything to change the luck of the draw. The actual cards you get here, you can actually go an extra step and, like I said, call the floor and say, "Hey, I'm trying to be fair here. Yeah, I want to be fair to all the rest of the players. I've given this guy a warning. He continues to keep exposing his hand." What am I supposed to do? Now, if you're in a cash game, you can get up and leave and move. Of course, at that point, now you get up and somebody else is there. They may not be as nice as you and might not share that information. But the tournament, you can't. So in a tournament, I definitely think you need to call the floor and say, hey. In fact, I got pretty close to doing this at um, in the horse tournament because you remember that one player kept falling asleep. But every time he woke up, his card's way up off the table. Um, and it happened a lot even in Omaha, too. You know, Older players like to pick their cards up and look at them. And I'm like, I'm sure people can see the cards, and you know, it's not fair to me, and it's it's impartially unfair to that person that's now all of a sudden can't see. Because I, I found myself in that situation before too. I ended up becoming a turtle at the table because if I look either way, I'm going to see cards that I shouldn't see. Um, but it's still it, it, it's still an unfair advantage. So I think you need to exhaust every possibility to make sure that it's fair to everybody else. Now, if you call the floor over, they're like, you know, hey. That's poker. All right. You know, I did what I could. You know, I'm not going to ask for a appeal of that rule, but uh, I am going to try to do what I can to be as fair as possible to my fellow players. So you think it's ethical? It's it, uh, an eth- He asked. He asked if it was an ethical obligation to share that you can see him. So I always do, but I'm just saying ethically, is he obligated to tell the guy, or is that an ethical thing you're thinking of when you're saying that, or are you just trying to be a good person, like the gentleman's thing we're talking about? Uh, well, that's a good question. Is it etiquette or is it um, ethics? Right, that's what yeah. I was wondering. I well, I think I think it is ethical because you want the game to be as fair as possible. Okay. So if you are not, you're not making any effort to correct what you you gaining an unfair advantage i do think that's unethical that's not etiquette that's unethical okay now i there i would be willing to have a debate about the second step where after you've made it known to that player that you could see the cards and you ask them nicely to to do a better job now i think it might be i i still think it might be unethical but i i could be convinced that it's an etiquette thing now to go that second step that i said and and have a floor come over if they continue to expose it okay yeah, so the I, first step I think is definitely uh, ethical. I definitely take the ethical route and tell them I can see them, but I also warn them. That way, if they're not good enough to figure out how to look at their own cards, it's not on me anymore. And I looked at, I watched the action go around the table, and if I'm looking to my right to see the action, all of a sudden this guy's cards flash in my face. There's nothing I can do about it, and I'm not going to stop myself from playing my game by watching the action go clockwise around the table. And I know I can go call the floor, but... That still may not solve the problem because this person just isn't capable of looking at his cards. Or, well, or, that's what I'm saying. At that yeah. point, there's nothing else you can do at that yeah, point. Now you've made it well-known it. to the staff. Theoretically, now you've made it well-known to the table that this person is exposing their cards. And if no action, no actionable action happens, I, I, I don't know what more you can do at that point. Yeah. Um, okay. But if you don't take that step, I don't think you can say that. I think... I don't think you could say that there was something more you could have done, too. That's fair enough. And I don't also think you wouldn't want to just blurt out, hey, guys, the table, hey, I've asked him once to cover his cards. He, he's still not covering them. You know, I have a right to be able to see around the table. So if I see him going forward, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to. I think that might cause a little bit more problem. But if you ask the floor to come over, the floor can now handle it properly. At least I hope they can. Yeah, yeah. 
And if not, at least it's their job to handle it, not your job. And if they handle it poorly, then, hey, you made it aware of it. I, I can't imagine any decent poker player sitting across from the table from you would not respect you for giving the guy a warning and then asking the floor to come over to, to make it fair for them. Yeah, you're right. And if he needs to go, I mean, you know, obviously at that point now, if other players are paying attention to it and still see that you are getting an advantage, I think they're going to call the floor and go, come on, dude. <laughs> And that's fine at that point because now now you've made it known to everybody. Everybody knows what's going on here. You're not you're not benefiting from information that other players don't have access to. That's the big difference. If they don't have access to that player right. or that information, there's no way they have access to that information. I should say. Well, speaking of calling the floor, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been. Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. Uh, this comes in from someone. <laughs> We're going to make it anonymous. Do you have to play the best hand in No Limit Hold'em? If there is a jackpot that requires playing both cards in your hand, there could be situations where the second best hand qualifies for the jackpot, but the best hand does not. If I held king-king on a board of ace-ace-ace-ace-king, quad-aces is the best hand, but would not qualify for a high-hand jackpot. If I played king's full, my hand would qualify. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> We play card speak in uh, in casinos, so you turn your hand over, or whatever the best hand is wins. So yes. you can't say, uh, "Hey, no, 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 I I want that uh, that full house instead of the quads." It doesn't work that way. In fact, actually, beyond that, all all jackpot rules are written that you have to use both cards in your hand. Uh, generally, I shouldn't say they all are. Right, right. Um, generally, they are. Generally, they are, and um, and and even if they don't. There's no way any casino is going to let you play a inferior hand when there is a higher hand that you have. Right. Absolutely. So th- that for sure is guaranteed in, in, in all um, state submissions. But most of them also say you need to use both cards in your hand, which makes it easier to explain to a player why they can't do what this player is hoping they can do. Yeah. Okay, we have tournament right along with O'Malley's move today. It's episodes four and five. Here comes episode four. Hello again. We're still going to err on the side of pot control. We check. Our opponent immediately shoves her stack in, and we're resigned to fold. Two rounds later, our table breaks, and we're seated on the button at our new table with ten big blinds. We fold two hands, and on the third, it's folded to us in the hijack with the queen of hearts, ten of hearts. So, are we taking a stand here, or waiting for a better spot? What's the move? Yes, absolutely time to take a stand. It's been folded to us, we're in the hijack, and we have suited one-gapped Broadway cards. We gotta shove here, don't we? Yeah, we gotta shove. Um, We would be the first one opening real betting. Uh, We're short, and we're suited with Broadway cards, so we gotta get it all in, I think. Okay, here comes episode five. Hello again. We shove. We have four players to get through, two being the blinds. I'd like to pick up a blind and a half and move on. The cutoff folds, button folds, small blind calls, and the big blind folds. The small blind has us covered by two big blinds and turns over the ace of spades, king of spades. Nice hand, good game. But wait, what's this? The king of hearts, jack of spades, nine of spades comes down on the flop. We flop a straight, but we have a buttload of outs to dodge. 
To make it even worse, the king of clubs comes on the turn, giving us even more outs to dodge. But when the eight of diamonds comes on the river, we rake in the 20 big blind pot. So in the same round, after losing a pot in which we raised with ace-king and had to fold after considerable action on the flop where we hit neither, we're down to 12 big blinds. It's folded to us in the MP, and we look down at two black kings. Standard raise or a shove? What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Comes from our old friend Michael Paul from San Diego. Yeah. And, uh, he says, uh, let's see. Oh, I was going to give you some uh, extra information we didn't need. It. All right, here we go. Uh, he's playing 1-2 no limit at a Vegas casino. Started at a hand with $550, and the villainous hand had him covered. Uh, the villain is described as, uh, haven't, we haven't seen him show down any bluffs. He bet when he had a hand, he bet strong. He seemed solid, though he didn't seem to race pre-flop too often. When he did, he had good starting hands. Uh, all right, an early position player to limps, and it folds to us in middle position, and we have the suited Casenza. <laughs> Jack sixth for jury number six. Or no, you're jury number seven, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, uh, ace ten of diamonds. Um... Yeah, I'd probably raise. I, sometimes I'll just call with this hand because it's. I know it's two broadways, but it, to me it's very similar to like ace five of diamonds or ace six of diamonds or something where you're just really hoping to make the nut flush. Because if you pair your ace and there's someone else in the hand, they're probably going to either make two aces up if they make their ace or they're going to make a better kicker than you. So it's one of those hands where, yeah, okay, you might outkick somebody with ace eight. Um, but you don't want to really do too much battle with an ace-10. Um, but in middle position, you only have one limper. Yeah, I would probably raise to, what was it, 1-2 game, and then went a limper. So I'd probably make it like 15, because we, we usually make it like 10 or 12 when we're playing these games in a casino with no limper ahead of you. So I'd probably make it like 15 with this. Uh, there are times where I would just limp, though. So yeah, anyway. I could defend limp, but yeah. I also like the race, so I think I'm raising the 15 like you are. So. Okay, very good. Uh, and that's exactly what our hero does, too. So, so far, we're all on the same page. Uh, folds to the villain on the button, um, and uh, he calls. Okay. All right, so comes Jack, deuce, deuce, with one diamond, and the limper checks to us. Um... I'll do C-bet because I took control of the hand. If I had limped earlier, I might just check behind, and especially because, you know, the paired board and, and whatever. And um, But since I took control of the hand and raised pre-flop, I'll bet. Uh, I'd probably bet. So there's only one person in the hand with us, right? Is that right? No, too, I'm sorry. It was it was unclear there. But, uh, no, uh, pre-flop, we, uh, the button called, and the early limper called as well, too. So there's three of us, so and the early limper checks to us. We still have the quote-unquote villain to act behind us. All right, so there's 45 about in the pot then. Um, I'd probably bet around 25, 30, maybe 25. Uh, sounds good to me. I mean, I, I, I can't be too worried about the deuce here, right? So obviously the jack, somebody could have a jack, um, but we have a diamond out there, and we're expected to see bet, right? So. Yeah. 
Now, I could also make a case maybe where you check and then maybe see if this guy behind us once it gets frisky and betting and then check raise. But I think that gets a little more dangerous because now we're giving up position. I mean, we already don't have position at that point. But Yeah, if we bet 25 and we get some sort of resistance, we let it go. You know, we did what we're supposed to do. We are in control of this hand. There's money out there. We're not supposed to be afraid of Jack Deuce Deuce when you raise pre flop because you're supposed to have a hand. So we do what we're supposed to do. If we get some sort of rush back, it's not like we have a draw at this moment and only one over uh, and a paired board. So I'm not going to get too risky uh, with it. So if somebody, you know, decides to say, "Hey, I don't believe you," and or the button says, "I've got Ace Jack" or "I've got whatever," I don't believe you. I'm going to raise here. I'll let it go. But twenty five dollars is the right. It, you got to remember these, these are chips you're dealing with. These are your tools of your trade, and you got to bet with them. So I, I would have bet, and if somebody gives me some sort of resistance, I let it go. All right, uh, we see bet $30. Seems fine. Mm-hmm. A little bit more than widow, but fine. Uh, the button calls, but the early position limper folds. So we're heads up to the turn, which is the king of diamonds. So our board now is jack, deuce, deuce, king with two diamonds. And we are first to act now. Well, now I'll, I'm the type of person that bets draws. Um, I have two here now. I have Broadway and... Uh, I don't know if the jack was the diamond or not because it was just one diamond, but if it was, it's a royal. Well, I mean, uh, what are the chances of getting a royal spot, let alone two? <laughs> and I'm one who hits uh, 46 to billion to one <laughs> odds, so I'm getting implied odds up to yin-yang here, no matter what they do to me. Um, but I'll bet. I, I don't know. What I'll, let's see, 30, so 60, and then the original 40, 105 in the pot. I'd probably bet 50. That seems about right. I mean, uh, I'm with you on this. I like to bet my draws, uh, particularly now because it's a little bit disguised. And um, obviously a king is in our opponent's wheelhouse here, so it's possible we get raised here. But unless uh, he just goes crazy with the raise, got a lot of outs here, and I'm not really worried about him having a boat here. I mean, we'd have to have pocket jacks or pocket kings and then raise us with either one of them um, or some kind of weird deuce. The other but, thing I like... And I don't mean to cut you off there, but is if this guy was floating us to take it away on the turn, now the king has come, and it looks like we have ace-king if you play it this way, and now the king has come, and now you've bet it, so you've hit your ace-king, yeah. and now the guy who was trying to float and steal from you knows he can't, and he might fold. So that's another reason why I would bet here. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, the, the king seems like it, it helps us more than it helps anybody else in this situation. Because remember, you know, people don't know what you have, so they got to guess what you have just as much as we're guessing what anybody else has. So. Yeah. Another reason to bet. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, our hero says I generally bet my draws when it does get there. People may not give me credit for hitting it. Oh man, we have been like three of us, or like the three amigos this hand. Jeez. Uh, he says I bet fifty dollars, uh, which is a little less than half the pot. That's just like what we said to bet too. <laughs> Did one of us play this hand? The singing bush or something coming up here. <laughs> right, uh, um, all right, the button calls. Uh, so the river is a diamond. He says he doesn't remember which one it is, uh, but obviously. Uh, are you there? Oh, I am. Okay, yeah. good. I lost you. So you. Just say, just say, uh, doesn't Hello? remember which one it is. Start from that. Don't remember which one it is thing you said, and go from there because you've dropped out. Hello. Oh, you can't hear me. Can you, hear me? can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you. Okay, start from, I don't remember which one it is, but it doesn't matter, because that's where you got cut off on me, and then I'll, I'll edit it later. 
All right, the river comes a diamond. He says he doesn't remember which one, um, but our final board has three diamonds, and we are first act. All right, so we've hit our nut flush, but there's a paired board, so we got to be a little cautious here because we don't. This guy just keeps calling us. He could be tricky. He could have a boat that we don't know of. It's possible. Doesn't really make sense. Um, I mean, he could have had Jackson just called and then flopped the boat and slow played his whole way because he had position. So that's something I have to be worried about. So I'm still going to bet here. I'm not going to not bet. Um, yeah. That's really the only hand that I, I would, with that and whatever this river card is, if it could be a, a set that turned into a, I mean, yeah. a, a river boat. But even that, I mean, any any hand, any card it would have been would have been under a king. So at that point, the guy is sticking with us with a pair that's third best pair on the board probably. Yeah. So that doesn't make sense to me either. So really, the only thing I can see that has a beat here is the pocket jacks. The guy didn't want to repop us, which sometimes people don't want to do with jacks. And, you know, flopped it, and now he's just walking us right to the end. But it's a possibility, but I think everything else that's possible, we have crushed here. I tend to bet less on the river than maybe what tournament players do when they're in a tournament hand and they really want to get value for their hand. or I don't know what it is, but I, I'm not one to put out because now there's a hundred, there's like two hundred in the pot now. I'm not one to put out like a, a one seventy five or a one fifty or something like that unless I have the absolute nuts. And I might do something that I think this person would fall for and then not believe me and then call this huge bet or something. I tend to want to get value for my hands. And then if I also if I'm wrong, if you bet a little bit, they may just re-raise you a little bit and then you get off. Exactly. You know, That's for exactly calling. Perfect. You know what I mean? So I like to bet like seventy here or something, or maybe sixty-five or seventy. I'm not. I'm not going to bet half the pot or three quarters of the pot here because I, I don't have the absolute nuts. I have the nut flush, but I don't have the nuts. I have like the sixth best hand here or something. So, I think I'd bet like sixty-five, seventy here and just hope to get paid off. And then if he raises me to like one thirty, well, that's a legitimate bet earlier anyway. I call that and I save some money. I think if he has a boat. Or I like that strategy a lot. Yeah, okay, both. good. Yep. All right. Um, our hero bets 100. It's a little bit more than us. So the first time we slightly deviated. Okay. And the button thinks for a moment and then raises 150 on top of that. Oof. Now we have 325 left, and we're facing a call for 150 more. Yeah, I'm just going to call. I, I I mean, I have to call in case he made, you know, has three deuces. You know what I mean? He could have had... Or he could have a lower flush. Remember, we bet our draw and to give us, you know, so people don't give us credit for hitting it. So it's possible that he stuck around with, you know, we don't know what cards had were diamonds, right? But he could have had a, he could have paired one of, well, if he paired one of them, it'd be the deuce or the jack, I guess. Yeah. Um, but he could be sticking around with some kind of flush as well, too, and, and have a lower flush than us. Um, yeah, we don't know what diamond is, so we may not necessarily have a nut flush. You know, it could be a straight flush that's better than us, but um, I think we would have mentioned, he said the card didn't matter, so it obviously must not matter. Yeah, he. we have the 10, so he can't have a straight flush at all. But um, I don't, And I can't imagine what diamonds he would have in his hand that would have made him call our 30 bet on the flop. We only did it because we were C-betting, because we missed it completely. This guy would have had to have two diamonds that were like 10. Now, he couldn't even have 10, so he'd have to have like 9, 8 of diamonds and call there just to float us. So that's yeah. the only way he yeah. gets there with diamonds. Um but I'm just calling because I don't have the nuts. And I do have a pretty big hand here. And the only hand that beats is his pocket jacks, it feels like. So I'm going to call here. And if he's got us beat, 
a you know we we we, we bought into a one two game probably for two hundred and we had five fifty. If we call and lose, we're still about even for the night. And we you know we just it seems like we've been playing very well at this table, and we just happen to get into one bad hand here. Doesn't mean we can't turn around and get our money back again. So. This is a situation where I can't fold. I, I don't think I can fold. I don't think I would have bet 100 to start. I think if we bet 65, the guy bets 120 or something or 130 at you, and then you you know, you know, you can call that comfortably and still be making a profit for the night. So that's the only thing I might have done differently in this hand probably. So I call, though. I don't fold. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, our hero says, when he announced raise, I will admit fireworks, fireworks went off in my head. My initial thought was, all in! But I held back and thought about it. I really thought he backed his way into a flush. Maybe he had Jack-9 or Jack-10 of diamonds, thinking his Jack was good until the flash, uh, flush got there, except he couldn't have the 10 of diamonds, as you pointed out, because we had the 10 of diamonds, right? right. Um, could he have played ace-deuce suited and hit the miracle flop with two deuces? I think uh, he, uh, I think he, I think the way he played it, oh, wow, I think he way I played it didn't, I'm trying. <laughs> I don't know what he's trying to say here. Didn't indicate I was on a flush draw, so when the flush did get there, I don't think he would have put me on one. It's something like that. But okay, so I get that. Back to what you said before. Right, was, right. Misdirection. <clears throat> I did get worried about him playing Jack Jack, though. Although it was worth a raise on the button, many people just set mine at two. I was really close to going all in. I just stopped myself from doing it. In the end, I said, "Of." In the end, I decided I was ahead of way more hands he could have uh, played than I was behind. I just called. I turned over my flush and threw up a little. When I saw he played King King. Oh, jeez. Because I don't think I misplayed the hand. I think most people would have raised with King's preflop. He had the King of Diamonds not showing up on the turn. I wouldn't have won the hand anyway since I had nothing. I also would have uh, wouldn't have spent two fifty on the river either. But that's how it goes. Uh, if it was any other diamond, I would have won. But I don't think he would have called on the river either. Uh, maybe in the end, I just couldn't put him on Kings in that spot. I was worried about Jacks, but never Kings. Especially because you have the other player limping. It's one thing to just call with kings and get risky yeah, like that, heads. you know, right. when you're heads up. But now you've got the other guy. You're letting him in for the same price, possibly, to hit a random ace. And then your kings are useless. Whereas at least you know you're heads up. It's one or the other. And then if an ace comes and the guy goes crazy on you, you're like, okay, I can fold these kings comfortably. But if for his price and you're just calling, you're letting that other guy say, you know what, now I'm getting pretty decent odds on my money to call this extra. What, do we, what did he make at preflop? 15, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got to call 13 or whatever it is to win 31 or whatever, and 33. And it's like, eh, why not? I'll give it a shot. And they got a random suited ace. Then I pop an ace on the flop, and now your kings are worthless. And so, I, to me, I would just repop it, be happy to take down the $18 that's in the pot now or whatever it is. And if not, I'm heads up with kings in position. So to play it that way is pretty risky. And he got lucky on the turn, really, because if, if it just goes any of the diamond, this guy probably thinks he's still good. You know, and we we crushed him with a flush that should never even been in the hand, really. If he repops us to like sixty, we're probably letting Ace Ten go. And if not, he's definitely betting out on that flop or after we check okay. to him. You know what I mean? So that was he got very lucky. He actually hit a two outer to beat us, which sounds familiar, Scott, doesn't it? No, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not uh forty six billion to one though. But uh anyway. Thanks for sending it in, Mike. Appreciate it. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. 
contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music.